Okay, Father, we thank you for this time together. Lord, we thank you for this conference. Lord, first of many to come, I'm sure. But we just thank you for the group that's here. Lord, for the speakers that we've already heard. And God, we just ask you to bless these few words about team building and unity. In Jesus' precious name, amen. So there's two handouts that I gave out earlier. One of them is a handout um, that I found really helpful over time, which was the 17 Laws of Teamwork by John Maxwell. And um, he's a leadership guru, a guy that was a pastor himself. And so he just put some real practical points down. And um, from time to time, I'll look at them, read them over. And the second sheet is just kind of an outline of a couple things that I'd like to just touch on today and about building a unified team. And then we'll hear Pastor Shibley Uh, in Ephesians chapter 4, and let's just read this together, Ephesians 4, verses 1 through 5. How do you guys feel after that lunch? Pretty heavy, pretty heavy stuff. Oh, it was good. Um, I, therefore, the prison of the Lord, and I'm reading from the New King James beseech you to walk worthy of the calling which you were called with all lowliness and gentleness with long suffering bearing one another in love endeavoring to keep the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace there is one body one spirit just as you were called in one hope of your calling one lord one faith one baptism one god and father of all who is above all and through all and in you all and in verse 5, um, which we, we just read. Um, when we look at a team, I think that one of, the, one of the concepts that is really meaning a lot to us in our ministry is team concept, that the Lord... Uh, works through teams, and we see that having a team is so important, and how to lead that team, and how to direct that team. And when we look at the team and the perspective of unity of a team, I mean, you can have a group of people together, and they may not be one. There may be uh, unexpected agendas, or uh, people are not knowing what their portion is or what they're doing. It may be that there are people that are in the um, on the team that are not really understanding what the direction and the guidance is and where they're going. And so unity on a team, I think, is so important. I mean, you look at some football teams, NFL teams, and I see it sometimes. I'm not in any way an NFL uh, pro and understanding the game, uh, but you can see it sometimes where you'll have a fantastic team of just the great players and guys that really know how to, you know, that really know what they're doing. But if there's not that unity in that direction and that, that understanding of team, they're going to lose. And you see it when you, when they come up to that very important game that they're facing, uh, they fall apart. 
And that can be sometimes because of not understanding unity. And when we look at Ephesians 4, verse 1, I, the first five verses, I kind of exegeted it a little bit, but I want to go over it quickly. The words endeavoring to keep the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace, there are a further description of a mutual forbearance which is spoken of in the previous verse. Endeavoring is spudadzo in the Greek, and it means to take care, make haste, to do one's best. It's a word that we see in the New Testament that shows up sometimes as the word study. It speaks of determined effort. It's an idea of exertion in it. Um, It means basically, in one way, we can translate it into today's word as being an intentional, intentionally um, uh, endeavoring, intentionally um, keeping the unity. And this Greek word to keep is tereo, which is to keep by guarding, to guard by exercising watchful care. This is cafe, but it's really care. Uh, It speaks of guarding something which is in one's possession. I think one of the most important things that we need to keep in mind, and, and Neil was sharing it earlier today, and we've heard it a few times over the over these last few days, is really endeavoring to keep that unity. Like that is something that has been given to us, has been put into care, in our care, and that we are to guard it like we would guard a uh, precious possession. Uh, it would be easy when we live in self-consciousness living in our own agenda, and we're not going to the cross daily to live in a sense of what am I? Having a self-centered part on a team instead of thinking of uh, what is God wanting to do with this team. Uh, Keeping that unity is something that involves prayer and worship. It involves um, thinking with God, being a student, um, always growing. Uh, unity here means uh, agreement. And uh, the bond here is sundesmos, which means that which binds together. Uh, peace is the genitive of description, which defines a binding factor. Peace is that binding factor which will reserve the unity, preserve the unity which the Spirit has produced. Uh, the bond of peace in Colossians 3.14 uh, is exemplified in love. And love is something that, you know, love is something that cannot be faked. You know, either we love people, either that love is in us or it is not in us. Uh, As a pastor or as a leader of a team, uh, I really have to get God's mind for people. I need to get God's mind for people that I'm leading, that I'm directing, that I'm uh, investing in. Because if I don't truly love people, I think that people have, as human beings, an inner Uh, intuition of whether this is genuine or it's not genuine and so what I have to do uh, as a team member or as a leader is continually go to God and say God give me your heart for people because if I don't have your heart for these kids in Sunday school if I don't have my if I don't have your heart in worship or in preaching or in outreach then uh, it will be communicated it will be communicated in a way that is detached from the heart of God And so that's one of the things that I always am asking God to stir me up in is what is your heart for people? And because I don't I don't naturally love people naturally. You know, none of us naturally love people. So it's something that we have to have a a supernatural impartation from God about his heart for people. 
Jeremiah had that heart for people. Jesus had that heart for people. Paul had that heart for people. And this is an agape that delivers us from self-awareness, that delivers us from self-consciousness, and brings us into this awareness of God, his goodness, and what he wants to do in people's lives. And this love is what energizes our faith, doesn't it? Um, There's a lot of faith in the world, isn't there? I mean, there really is a lot. But it's not really the faith that we would talk about as a saving faith. There's faith people have to start businesses, to start corporations, to start political movements. But any, and that could even be in the Christian church where there is this energy and faith and, and believe, you know, believing in the system or believing in the way things are done. But if it's not motivated by that love of God, that unconditional love of God, then it'll fail. It will fall short. It will only love um, as long as things are going in the direction that are agreeable to me. As soon as something goes contrary to me or if someone does some does something that I don't like or that I don't approve of or is outside of my, my, my pattern of doing things, then my natural ability to love people will end. That's going to happen anyway. And when that happens, we can't live in condemnation. If I'm working on a team or working with people and I suddenly don't love somebody more naturally and my, my attitude towards them is, is being challenged, it's at that moment I need to go to the cross and say, God, I am exchanging me for Christ. The cross is that place of the great exchange. And, and we're going to be faced with these times when, um, when we are looking at our team and we're looking at what we're doing and we're going to be, we're going to be challenged like, God, what is holding this together? Uh, what is the glue that's holding this all together? And we have to um, sometimes really just go to God and say, God, I just need you to give me your heart for people, for the lost, you know? God, give me a, a vision for the lost. So um, I'm just going to, I'm just going to um, scroll down to Acts 16, if we could just turn there. And I just want to take a look at it, just an example in uh, the New Testament of a team in action and uh, four things that we see a team in action doing. This is Acts 16, verse 6. And we'll just read through from 6 to uh, Acts 16, uh, 6 through uh, 15. And now when they had gone through... Phrygia and the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Now here's Paul in chapter 16, second missionary journey. He is in Derby, goes to Lystra, and he is on in a direction. He's got some momentum. He is, he's got a group with him. Uh, Timothy is joining them. Uh, they are Um, they are moving along in God's exciting plan. And then when they had gone through Phrygia, in verse 6, in the region of Galatia, they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Have you ever been in a situation where you are moving with a unit, with a team, and you just suddenly sense like God is forbidding you to go any farther in that direction? I mean, forbidding is a strong word. And I think that that word, because later on we see the same thing happen to Paul, but in a in a different geographical location, but it's not so strong. This word forbidding is a strong word because 
I think that Paul naturally had a lot of energy as a leader, as a, had a lot of am, well ambition and a lot of um, natural energy that he had as a leader. And I think that literally God had to, in a very strong way, stop Paul from moving in that direction, forbid him to go. It's just, it's like a, it's a strong word. Like why would, why would the Holy Spirit have to forbid him from going? That like you are not to go there. This is something that you are not to do. Paul must have been thinking, well, I want to go there. There's this opportunity there, uh, and the Holy Spirit is saying no. And it's like when God spoke to Moses and said, "No, Moses, and I don't want to hear you talk about this again." It's like a forbidding of uh, his team moving in that direction. And then later on, we see in verse seven that after they have come, they have come to Mysia. They tried to go into Bithynia, but the Spirit did not permit them. So now Paul is in a more of a sensitive condition or status where he is able to hear from God. Uh, he's, maybe, he's been checked on his natural ambition. He's been checked on his natural energy. Now he's a bit more sensitive to God. And now it doesn't need, the Holy Spirit doesn't need to forbid him, but like just to not permit him. Mm-hmm. And this is when we, have, when my wife and I have experienced this where well, we got a forbidden no from God in a direction. We were going to go. I remember we were going to move somewhere, and it just was like a forbidden no. God was like, absolutely not. And then we were going to move in another direction, and God's like, well, he's not permitting us. We're not getting that permission from the Holy Spirit, from the body. We're not getting, we're not getting that sense of permission. And then, uh, so where are they? If you look at a map, there's only one direction for them to go, and that is directly west to Troas. Troas is like one of the most farthest cities on, in modern day Turkey. It's right on the edge of Asia Minor. And so that's the direct, they're, they're, Paul's like, I'm just gonna keep moving. And I like that about Paul as he's leading his team. He says, we're just gonna keep moving and just trust that God's gonna bless us. I think that sometimes like, you know, especially in this kind of a situation, maybe we're part of a team, maybe we're in a team and we get, we get a few slam doors, and that's happened to all of us. Doors just slam shut. And I think the, the, the temptation is, is for us to get discouraged and say, you know what, am I hearing from God? You know, is God speaking to me? Maybe we get a little introspective. We begin to analyze our motives. Uh, we're never going to have 100% pure motives in anything that we do. We just have to trust God that he's ordering our steps and just commit ourselves to God. Because I think in 1 Corinthians chapter 4, Paul said, I don't judge myself. And I like that because some of us have this temperament where we could just analyze everything that we're doing. Mm-hmm. And is this right? Is this wrong? And many times we just say, I don't know. I don't know. But I'm going to take steps in this direction. And if the Lord will bless it, he will bless it. If he will not, then I'll, I'll, he'll direct me in another way. And so Paul is moving forward here just confident that the that the steps of a good man are being ordered by the Lord. And as he's going, he gets to Troas. And in verse 8, verse 9, and a vision appeared to Paul in the night. That's beautiful. A vision appears to Paul in the night. We don't know what kind of vision, if he was awake or if he was asleep. Maybe that's not even the issue. But the word vision, in this case here, is an illumination of God's heart for what he wants to do in his plan in missions. And Pastor Perkins talked about how God spoke to him about Las Vegas. I remember how God spoke to us about Houston. It was just so, it was so specific. I remember back in the day when we were talking about the seven cities, Philadelphia, Houston, 
uh, Florida and these different places that we were, that now we have churches in, in a lot of these places. Mm -hmm. But I remember hearing about Houston, wondering about it. I had heard my brother, Pastor Jason, talk about Texas and how open it was. And, but we went to Philly. We were there for a few, for a few years. And I just remember coming down here about a year and a half ago and visiting the Lions. And I just remember literally having not a trance or anything weird like that, but God just illuminated my heart for this area, from this for Houston. And I just had this thing in my heart, like, you know, it was, it was so clear to me, but I was afraid really to talk about it. Maybe I don't, I don't want to over, I, I just don't want to jump the gun. And so we prayed and we visited more and we prayed and we visited more. My church in Philly was trying to figure out what we were doing. Why are you in Texas so much? And we weren't telling our church what we were doing down there. And, um, and uh, I just want to read to you, and you're going to love this, but I'm just going to read to you, and it's going to take a second to find it, but I want to read to you something that someone wrote to me. Um, and the person who wrote is going to know exactly who wrote it. And I photographed it in my phone, and I put it in my Evernote, and it's there in its written format, and I read it from time to time. And it's what was, for me, that Macedonian moment for Texas. And they titled it this way, Special Fellowship, so much sweeter and greater to know him and to be known by him than to be known by others in him is so far beyond knowing each other socially there is nothing like being knit together into one body. Let us pray, think, and envision together a beautiful Texas body. Somebody wrote that to me. <laughs> I, I read that. I was like, wow, this is like, this is God's heart for Texas. There are sheep here, you know. And I'm a pastor, and I think any pastor would say this. Whenever you hear the bleeding of the sheep, that something in your heart's like, oh my gosh, you know, we have to. We have to go, you know. And I just remember, and I think it's important for us, as Paul did, to have these Macedonian moments where we can look back and say, you know what? This is when God spoke to me about this event in my life. And sometimes when we have these moments like, why are we doing this? Why am I doing this? Why, is, why, are, we doing, why are we here? We can go back to that moment where, you know, I remember when God spoke to me about this place. And so as a leader, Paul here is leading. And in chapter 16, verse 6 and 7, we find here that as he's in Troas, a vision appears to Paul in the night. Maybe there was a night. Maybe it wasn't the literal night. Maybe it was a night season in Paul's life. Do you, have a night, do you ever have those night seasons and, you know, the, the Israelites, the children of Israel were being led through the desert by a pillar of fire at night. Do you ever have these night seasons in your life where God speaks to you and gives you a vision? I think that Peter was in a very dark night of his soul uh, after he had denied Christ three times. And then Christ comes to him and gives him a calling to feed his sheep. Paul here is in a place where it's at night and a man of Macedonia stood and pleaded with him saying, and I like that. Stood and pleaded. He wasn't sitting, kind of kicked back in a chair at coffee. This was, he is standing, and he's leaning into the conversation, and he is pleading. And this is really the heartbeat of God. This is God's heart in missions and church planting and team leadership. 
that there would be that moment where God communicates his heart to us. How he does it is not important, but the fact that he does do it is important. And this is the first thing out of four things that I think that Paul was important for Paul. He understood the vision that people would know Christ, salvation, his finished work, grace of God, and be transformed. Like Paul understood this was the vision. And this is our vision here is that we want, this is like what we are just, I think about this every day. Like, I want people to know here Christ. I want, to, I want people here to know the transforming power of the finished work, that sins have been forgiven and that we are no longer our sin in Romans chapter 7, that we have been taken out of this world of darkness and put into the kingdom of his dear son. Understand the vision. I think if we're going to lead, we have to understand what is the vision. Like, and we need to talk about that. Like, what is our vision here in Texas? Um, it's not necessarily a business plan. But we said a couple weeks ago, vision happens in three ways. Number one, we have a vision of God. Understanding who God is. That's where all vision begins. It all begins with understanding who God, the nature of God is. Isaiah chapter 6 and many other places in the Bible where we see that men of God and women of God were used when they first had a revelation of who God is. Vision doesn't begin with the need. It doesn't begin with a business plan. It doesn't begin with a, a whole pile of talent and let's go do something. It starts with a vision of who God is. Secondly, the vision of God, the vision happens when we understand who we are in Christ. Peter said to Jesus, thou art the Christ. He had a vision of God through divine revelation. And Peter said, uh, then Jesus said about Peter, thou art Peter. So when Peter gets the nature of Christ right, then he understands who he is. And then when he understands who he is, Jesus says, go feed my sheep. I'm going, I'm going to build upon this rock. Not you, Peter, but on me. But you're, I'm going to use you, Peter. And so understand the vision. Understand the vision. Number two, um, and I think it's important, too, that we talk about the vision. Remember Pastor Stevens and just these men of God in our lives that would always just talk about the vision? Like the vision, this sacred thing that, that we guard. You know, it's like uh, when all else fails, we go, we, just, we go back to that vision. And we think about what God has put in our hearts, that vision. Understand what it is. Draw, write it out. Draw it. Make sure that other people um, understand what is the vision. What, you know, do people that I'm leading, do they understand what the vision is? Or are we, you know, are we just meeting every week and there's really no vision right. like what is my vision here like what do i want to see god and we need to pray in specifics like what do i want to see god do in my city in my community in my neighborhood what are my what are my expectations i think sometimes we have excellent teaching we have excellent doctrine we have great body life uh, i think sometimes what i find myself uh, i challenging myself is is like uh, what am I asking God for? What do I want to see God do here? You know, and I think that God loves us, loves it when we come to him and we petition him for things that are not happening. Remember the woman in the Gospels that, that needed bread, needed justice? I mean, there was two different stories there, but, but she petitioned the judge. She petitioned, and there was that no at first. There was that hindrance. There was that... I don't, but then that woman just kept pressing um, for the answer to prayer. How about the Syrophoenician woman? 
I think when we come to with a team and we begin to minister in a place, we are going to meet resistance. But we need to remember what is that vision of that Macedonian moment when God spoke to you personally. I think if we don't have a personal vision, then when, when times get tough and we get shaken, we're just going to go do something different. We're going to say, well, God's moving me somewhere else. God's calling me somewhere else. I think with a vision, that's going to be the anchor for us in what's going on so that we're not easily shaken. And so understand the vision. Think about it. Write it down. Make, we make goals. We plan. We pray. God, we just, I think about Exodus chapter 40 when, when Moses was given specific directions on how to build a tabernacle. This is kind of like kind of a personal um, revelation for me living here in Houston is that like, I feel like God has put inside of me like a picture of what the temple is going to look like. And I don't know how to explain it so much, but I have like a, a heart picture of it in my heart and in my mind. And Moses had that picture and he began to work in that. He had a specific plan. He had specific direction. And as he was moving in that direction and he finished the work, it says that the Holy Spirit filled the, whole, the presence of God, the glory of God filled that temple. And I just feel like that's what, that's what church planting is, is that we are moving in a direction with a vision and a picture in our mind of like where we came from. Like my spiritual DNA is, um, you know, I am from greater grace. This is where I was brought up. And I'm taking that, in, that DNA with me, that Christ-like DNA. And my desire is to see something happen here in that same way. And so we understand, if we have an understanding of the vision that's going to keep us really in time when times get difficult. Number two, um, we would like to pray that God would just um, have people take ownership of the, of the vision. That what is God's personal place for you in the ministry and vision? Like it's not just the pastor's vision, but it's like my vision too. You know, it's like that moment. And we see this here in Acts chapter 16. Let's go back to the text. And it says that uh, the Macedonian man stood, pleaded with him, saying, Come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10, Now when we had seen the vision, and he said, When he had seen the vision, what's that next word? It's immediately. I love it. They woke up. They jumped on the Internet. They started buying plane tickets. They started getting their passports ready. Uh, they started figuring out the travel, you know, the travel routes to get there. Immediately we sought to go to Macedonia. There's a personal ownership of the vision. Like, I'm in this. I am part of this. This is not just his vision or my husband's vision, but this is my personal vision. And I think that, that the ability to transfer from my vision to something where people share that is really a work, a mystical work of the Holy Spirit. That's what we want to pray as for leaders, that, that ability to communicate a vision in the heart of God that would be so contagious and so that other people hear the vision and they are stirred up, you know. I think sometimes, like Paul did to Timothy, he laid hands on Timothy. He said, you have received the gift through the laying on of hands. And we know that that wasn't some magical transfer of power through some mystical uh, Christian experience or religious experience. But it was a, there was a process of investment from Paul to Timothy and as Timothy grew up in the Lord, there was a gift that was being cultivated in his life. And Timothy had something that he didn't have before. And that is through investment. 
And I think that the, 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 the only way, or one of the only ways that we can uh, have people share the vision is through personal investment. Uh, we have to personally invest in our team. Uh, programs can sometimes be used by individuals to manipulate people to replace personal investment. We don't want to hide as leaders and pastors and team members behind a program. We want to be right there like, God, use us to personally invest in people. And then that is how people begin to sense that they are part of this vision, that I have a place there. And I think, too, when you, when you say to someone, like, like, I can't believe this happened with us, Pastor Stevens. I was like, you know, I was like this young guy in, tw- my, in my 20s. Didn't even really tell him I was moving to, to Ukraine. Took a team with me. And we went to a conference in, 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 in Holland. And, uh, and he just said... <laughs> I wasn't even ordained. And he goes, Pastor Moore, <laughs> how's the ministry in Ukraine? That was the first thing he said to me in front of everybody. And I thought, man, this guy trusts me. You know, there's that empowering of trust. He has no idea what I'm doing, if I'm out there doing outreach or not, or if I'm just sleeping until 12 or, you know. But there's that trust. And I think that we, when we, when we tell someone, look, I am laying hands on you in the sense of investment and delegation and encouragement. And I'm telling you, I feel from God that you're going to do a great job in this because I'm hearing from God, you're hearing from God. And I think we have to trust people. We have to let people take, take the reins and then make mistakes. And you know what? That's, I think that's very hard to do because sometimes we want to control the work. We want it to come out the way we want it to come out. But people have to know that they're being trusted and I think when we understand that someone's trusting me with something, that kind of puts the fear of God in me, you know, not to, not to be familiar and not to mess it up. And so that is how people take ownership in the vision. When I remember a guy that discipled me in the, in the Lord years ago. He said to me, many years ago, he just said to me, I'm so excited about what God's going to do in your future. No one had ever said that to me ever as a teenager. I was like, What? And just that belief that he had received from God as a, as a guy who was discipling me and communicated that to me. I mean, I, I, nothing to do with me, but just the fact that someone had a, a measure of faith in my life, that's discipleship. I think the church, the team, the ministry is the only place in the universe where people can come and people have a vision for their lives. Do you know what I'm saying? It's like when you come into this body and someone says you know this is not your task or duty this is this is what we believe from God that God could do with you and and you are in agreement with that because God's speaking to you as well and so taking ownership of the vision and number three um, contribute contributing to the vision in prayer and communication we take steps of faith and make commitment to share our portion in the vision Um, I think as a pastor and as a leader uh, I want to be really listening to people. That's the way we do it in Baltimore. I remember when I was part of the, uh, had the privilege of being a part of the elders board, um, you know, Pastor Shallow would sit down and many of the elders meetings were just like he was listening to us, you know, sharing. And he wasn't, you know, and he had his comments and, and he had uh, his wisdom and leadership, but he really enjoyed listening to the other elders in the room. And, um, it really challenged me that every time I go to that elders meeting, I really just got to have the mind of God. 
you know, because I don't want to give my own natural opinion, and contributing to the vision that, uh, that Jesus said to his disciples, you think these are great works? You will do greater works. Uh, Jesus wanted his disciples to succeed. I want people on my team and people that I've discipled over the years, I want them to be more successful and more fruitful than I am. And if that's the case, I'm going to be so happy. I mean, if someone has way, if someone, if I lead someone to Christ and they become a leader, a pastor or whatever, and, and God uses them 10, 10 times, 10,000 times more than me, I'm going to be so happy. Because it's, it's like I'm part of that, right? We're part of it. And so when we see someone uh, being blessed and succeeding in their life and in, in, in their ministry, then that's an awesome thing. It's not me trying to control the ministry. And then number four, um, we want to pass on the vision. We want people to be disciples that will know how to disciple other people. This is the number one thing for me here in Texas. We want to see, we want to disciple people that are going to disciple people. Because a church, we are not called to plant churches first. We're called to teach and make disciples. Disciples will make a church. If we have disciples that have the correct DNA, spiritual DNA, and a picture in their minds of that Macedonian man that have a personal conviction, they're going to go out and make disciples. Uh, because um, this is the, this is, you know, just a great desire that we have that we would see young people, you know, millennials, um, young families. I saw a young family, we were eating at the restaurant today, and I just saw them sitting there, and I just thought, I was like, you know, God is so for this family. They had like five kids there, all little kids, and they're all eating their young family. And I just thought, I went over them. I was trying to find an excuse to start a conversation with them so they wouldn't think I was some weirdo walking over and just starting to talk to them. And we got talking with them and, and uh, come to find out that they're part of a church plant in the neighborhood where I'm living. Uh-huh. And we got to talking. And, and I think that when we can talk the vision and people go home and say, I see myself in that. That's what we grew up. We, I remember being in Bible college and listening to returning missionaries talking about the mission field and going and praying with them and thinking, um, I see myself in this. And that's what we want. We want people to see themselves in what we're doing because it's not us. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. It's the body of Christ. And, and it's not just, it's not the whole thing is not on one person. It's a body it's a body environment. So I just want to close with just these three M's. And um, let's just read here, first of all, before we do that, um, the, the, the remaining part of the text. We immediately sought to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. I love that. You know, that moment where we, like Pastor John Perkins, gets in his car and drives across the United States. You know, Troy was moved down from, um, was it Alaska or Utah, to Utah, down to Texas, down to uh, Austin to be a part of a church plant. And uh, God's just doing some great ch- things with that church. And, and it's like that excitement that's in our heart that um, when we came down here to visit, there were already a few families living here that had just moved here for different reasons, like Eduardo and his family were down here. And I said to a few families, I think I said it to Daphne's to Tony, I said, you guys thought you moved down here for X reason, this reason, but God has a bigger plan. I came down here, was visiting Sean and Nicola, and I thought, 
you know, my wife and I were here, we were like, there's families here. There's an opportunity here. There's a need for the message of the finished work, grace, uh, great commission. And uh, this, is, this is God's will. And, and so he immediately went to go to Macedonia, concluding that the Lord had called us to preach the gospel to them. In verse 11, therefore sailing from Troas, we ran a straight course to Samothracia, and the next day came to Neopolis, and from there to Philippi, which is the foremost city that, of that part of Macedonia, a colony. And we were staying in that city for some days. And on the Sabbath day, we went down, we went out of the city to the riverside where prayer was customary made. I think one of the things I'm taking away from this conference is prayer. And I just want to just present it to everybody tomorrow on the team and in our group. Like, let's start a prayer chain. I mean, let's just create one. And everyone just plug in when they can. And let's just get, maybe we don't fill the 24 hours. Maybe we do. I don't know. But at least we just, we just start praying. And I think that, that in Acts chapter 1 and Acts chapter 2, the, church, the first church begins when people are in the upper room in prayer. And I think God will do so much with prayer. And they are praying here. And as they are praying, we see that the, God raises up someone that, that receives the vision and goes and is able to pass that on to others. A man of, I'm sorry, I just lost my place. Now a certain woman, verse 14, named Lydia, heard us. And that's what discipleship is. Anyone that's just going to hear us, you know, it doesn't matter if they are being... A discipleship is not about behavioral modification and fitting people into a cookie-cutter format, but it's like, our, because faith is going to come by hearing. If they are listening and they're receiving by faith, God is going to do the work. And she heard us. She was a seller of purple from the city of Thyatira who worshipped God. The Lord opened her heart to heed the things spoken by Paul. And when she and her household were baptized, she begged us, Okay, this is a person that has received the vision in their heart. They have received the ministry of Paul. They have heard the word. And then we all know Lydia's. And we all know some Timothy's, don't we? People that have said, you know what? Please do something in our house. Please do something in our city. They be- she begged us saying, if you have judged me faithful to the Lord, come to my house and stay. So she persuaded us. And you see, and I'm going to close with this. When people receive that vision from God that can only be spiritually passed on, they begin to persuade us. They begin to move us. They begin to stir us up. And that's what happens, is that we become persuaded about God, about God's work. Where is the Macedonian? I've always wondered, where is the Macedonian man in this? Where is he, you know? Who is he? And there's been different theories. You know, he was, the, he was a jailer. And I don't know. I just think the Macedonian, was, the Macedonian man was Jesus Christ. It was just him. He was, he was saying, I am here geographically in Macedonia, and I want to do something in this area. And I think that when, when we go to our prayer closets and we say, God, you've put us here, and we are in this very strange place. I don't have any history here or affinity or family here. And God, I'm here. I want to be your man for this place. You ever pray that place? I want to be your woman for this place. You know, you've brought me to this strange place. I want to be your vessel for this place because there's a Lydia here. There, is, there are miracles that are going to be happening. There is work to be done. And I think without that spiritual vision, 
It's going to become another religious operation. People are not going to have the energy. They're going to, there's going to be burnout. There's going to be conflict. There's going to be conflict anyway, but there's going to be no grace for these conflicts. There's going to be no energy. There's going to be no direction. And I just think that, that when we have a personal vision in our heart about uh, Jesus Christ, and not just the work and not the geography, but Jesus Christ, the result is that we are discipling others, others are discipling others, and we have a ministry. And so there's probably a lot of other things that we could talk about today, but I guess the main point I'm talking about is um, I can't lead a team if I don't have a vision, and the vision's got to be bigger than me. And I'll just say a couple small things to all of us to challenge us. Uh, Let's be learners. Let's be learners. Let's let, even if we've been doing this for a while, uh, I feel like I've done this a lot overseas, but I feel like coming here to Texas, in a lot of ways I'm learning. So I'm asking questions. I'm meeting with other people. I know who I am. I know who greater what I've been taught in this ministry. I know what I believe. And I know I'm not, I'm, I'm too late in the game for me to change what I believe. I'm not even thinking about that. But I would like to hear from other people uh, that are living here that God's blessing what they're doing. I'd like to hear how they're doing it. Uh, I would like to be learning, studying. I think one of the traps that we can get into is, is that in my career and what I know and what I'm, what I'm familiar in doing is that I stop learning, that I stop reading. You know, uh, if whatever area you're in, read about it. Just get books. Just read. pray that God would direct your steps. Get books. Meet with people. Talk with people. Get stirred up and, and be a learner until... Uh, I believe that God wants to bless what we're doing. I don't think it's God's will for us to be broken and always be broken in the sense of like, I'm just broken and nothing's good. And I have a very poor self-image and nothing's going to ever come about of what we're doing. I want to believe that God has sent us, that God has equipped us, that God's going to bring, that God's bringing people in. Why? Because of some ambition. I know it's not about us. It's not about me. It's about God being great and wanting to do great things in people's lives. And why can't we think that way that, that, you know, and portray that to our team that like, let's think like David did about the temple. Let's think like Moses did about the temple. Let's think like this is the way Pastor Stevens was. Whatever he did, he wanted it, always wanted it like first class. And because he had a sense of the work of God and, and, uh, I just think that that um, that if we aim low, if we pray low, if we don't expect much because we're living in self-occupation, then um, I don't know if we're going to really have an impact. These days that we're living in uh, requires men and women and a team and a church that are stirred up in the vision to go out, see God touch people's lives and bring them into their place in the body. I love it when someone finds their place in the body of Christ and is just cruising there. Mm. That's just awesome. And that's what we want to see happen. So pray for us. And um, we got some exciting things happening over the next week. Um, like Pastor Shibley, I don't know how much I can talk about it because it's not set in stone yet. But Oh, good. No so pray for us. And uh, we have Pastor Shibley coming in May. 20th, 21st for missions conference. Uh, we have Eurocon coming up. We want to take some Texans with us. 
Uh, we have a May mission trip down to Argentina to visit Pastor Stan. We want to take some folks down there. And then, um, and then uh, Costa Rica in the fall. Maybe that would be a trip that we could take. So, Okay. So let's close in prayer and then take a short break and then have Pastor Shibley come up.